thinking and praying for this morning just had a sense that God is doing something very present and real in our lives. And as we, as we look at God's Word, we're continuing a message series we're doing this month about the cross. And so far, the last two weeks, we've talked about how what Jesus did on the cross of giving his life, how that is the hope of us experiencing new life, of us having our sins forgiven, of us being restored in our relationships with God and, and with other people. And the next two weeks, we're, we're, we're building off of that foundation, but talking a little bit more about how the model of what Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, how that's a model for the way we're to live as Christians also. And we talked about how it's, you know, it's kind of, the cross is so normal, it's, it's so commonplace, you don't think about it, but who would start a religion and make its symbol an instrument of torture and capital punishment, right? That is not what the normal human mind would think, but that's what a cross is. That's where people were tortured and, and killed for crimes. And you know, Jesus went to the cross for our crimes, for our sin, to give us, to give us life. And I'm going to start off with a, a scripture in the Proverbs that is, is really interesting. Um, I just want to read this. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to be related to the cross, but we're going to get there, so trust me. Uh, there is a connection. But in Proverbs chapter, chapter 30, starting in verse 21, we read, Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king, a godless fool who gets plenty to eat, a contemptible or hated woman who gets married, and a servant who displaces her mistress. Those are some interesting scenarios of people right there. So it says that there, there are four things in the world that just, they're bad news. The earth shakes when this happens because it's not good. And so it says, first of all, if a servant becomes king, if there is a, a starving person who, who gets food, who gets pl- or a starving fool who gets plenty to eat, a contemptible or hated woman who gets married, or a servant who takes the place of her mistress. Why, why, what it's a, have you ever, any of you think of any people? Anybody come to mind when you hear this list of, this list of people? You know, like, oh, that's kind of like my boss. Yeah, they're like that. Um, but basically, this, this is really interesting because it's saying these are people that they, they had problems in their life. They weren't getting what they wanted. You know, they were servants, they were, didn't have enough food, they, this was someone who wanted to get married, but couldn't, and they were, they were thinking, man, I have problems, and it's because I don't have this thing. If I just had this thing, it would make me happy. But then when they got the thing that they thought would solve their problems, they became a very, they became a very difficult person to live with, and especially live under, because they came into a position of authority. And there's something about fallen people, broken people, that we complain about our lack of resources and power. But when we get them, we forget about others, and we become one more corrupt, self-centered leader, like, like the world is full of. Um, we think, man, if I, if I was in power, if I was, if I was the boss, if I was the king, if I, if I had that position, I would do it differently. But guess what happens? When people get to that position, and you know what? People get promoted a lot of times because the world needs leaders. People get promoted. There's a saying that 
it's easy to get promoted beyond your competency because there's always a need for people in positions of leadership. The world is desperate for leaders. The world is desperate for every organization, every church, every government, every business. They are looking for people that can do their jobs well. A lot of times we say, man, there aren't enough jobs out there. But the reality is people are looking for people who will do their jobs well, and especially positions of, of leadership. But the problem is, is that when we come into those places, the, the brokenness in us doesn't go away. In fact, it's magnified. You know, there's a saying that, that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's true. But it's not just that, that you were corrupted by the power, but it's more that there was stuff in you that was, that was broken and unhealthy and self-centered, but it was kind of disguised by the lack of authority, the lack of ability to have influence. But when you get into that position, it comes out. And so... You know, I, I thought about that. Man, it's, it's weird. How many people, how many times I hear people complain about their bosses? And some of that is just because we don't like bosses, right? Like, we don't like to be under someone's leadership. But some of it's that there really are a lot of bad bosses out there. And there really are a lot of people in positions of, of leadership that they're poor leaders. And this is why. Because in the brokenness of the world, the, the brokenness and the sin, the self-centeredness in us comes out the more leadership position we have. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, this is this problem of, of self-centered leadership. And today we're talking about, our, our title is Inverted Leadership. We're talking about how the cross turns things upside down from how the world works. It's upside down leadership. But I, several years ago, there's a Many of you have heard of Rick Warren. He's a pastor of Saddleback Church, wrote The Purpose Driven Life. Um, he has he listed five global giants. These are the, he was, according to him, the five biggest problems in the world that God's people are called to bring solutions to. And when he looks at what are the real overarching problems in the world, this is his list. Spiritual emptiness, number one. So that's the biggest thing, that our, our emptiness, our lack of connection with God. Our, our brokenness is number one, followed by self-centered leadership, poverty, sickness, and illiteracy. It's interesting that the, the second problem that he lists is self-centered leadership. And yeah, that's a huge problem. You can look at nations of the world that are held in poverty and bondage and horrible conditions, and you can trace it to there are leaders in place who they were like those servants. Like they maybe started out thinking, oh yeah, you know, I don't have much, but if I got to power, I'd be a good leader. But they get to a position of power, and all at once, all they do is accumulate wealth and resources for themselves. And over and all through the world, self-centered leadership is one of the biggest problems because God's design for leadership is that it's not self-centered, but it's for others. And Jesus lays this out in Matthew chapter 20. He he describes this more. Matthew 20, verse 25. It says, Jesus called his disciples together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise or flaunt authority over them. Basically, this is how it works in the world. The leaders of the world, they, they lorded over others. They use their position to, to flaunt their authority and get what they want. 
from other people. But then he says, not so with you. In other words, this isn't the way it's supposed to be with us as followers, followers of Jesus. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says that in his kingdom, in the way it's supposed to be, it's the opposite of the world. You could sum all this up with with the, the saying that the one who serves leads. Leadership is service. Leadership is availing of your gifts, your time, your energy, your intellect, your money, what you have, and using that to serve other people. And we all read this and we're like, yeah, that's great. Man, that's the kind of leaders the world needs. Yeah, man, I, I, yeah, Jesus, you're, you're so good. I, I like the way you think. I want leaders like that. But when it comes to our life, it goes against the grain, right? I mean, especially as I was just reading this going, man, it says, you'd be a servant, be a slave of all. Like, wow, as an American, you read that, it's like, wait a minute. Like, I'm nobody's slave. We're, I, don't, I mean, I'm free. I got freedom. But this is saying, yeah, you're so free that you choose. You don't, you're not a slave out of, out of force. But you have been so transformed by God's forgiveness and grace and what you've received from him that you choose to love others. And you choose to become a servant and a slave of other people. Now, that's powerful. I want to you know that will change the world right there. That is radically different. And if you just decide to get up and leave right now, I don't blame you. Because we're going to just unpack this a little bit. Like, how, what does this look like in our life? You know, I think about the, the scene of when Jesus was crucified. We're talking about the cross. And the cross is the ultimate place where Jesus demonstrated and lived out this kind of leadership. That he gave his life. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for others. Think about the scene that when Jesus was arrested, he was, he was, the soldiers gathered around him. And they had heard these rumors that he was supposed to be the king. He was supposed to be the Messiah. He was supposed to be the one that was going to you know, be the king, of, the king of the Jews, the king of Israel. And people were looking for a, a king to come and set up his kingdom of power and force. But they were like, well, look at this guy. He's, he's defe- he looks defeated. He's arrested. He's in the equivalent of, of handcuffs of the day. He's, he doesn't look any different than anybody else. He doesn't dress differently. He, he looks just like, in fact, when, when he was arrested, they had, the reason Jesus, Judas had to betray him was because they couldn't tell which one he was. Like, he looked just like anybody else. And so they, they, they mocked him, and they put a, a, a royal, like, purple robe on him. And they put a crown on his head made out of thorns. And they got around him and they taunted him and said, Ah, you're supposed to be a king. Look at you. And they were beating him. And he's got you know, blood all over the place and mangled flesh. And they're saying, Ah, yeah, you're supposed to be the king. But you sure don't look like a king. And it's a picture, a prophetic picture, that we see that this is what it looks like to be a real leader. This is the inverted, the upside-down leadership that God demonstrates 
for us. Man, I'm just, so this makes me want to just worship him all over again. Man, this is the God of the universe. The God who made everything, who has all power, who owes nothing to us. Who could, if he just made us, you know, just slaves of him, that in many ways you could say would be appropriate because he's God. But he left all that to say, no, I'm going to humble myself to give my all for people. And then when they, when they killed him on that cross, they put a, a sign over his head. And what did it say? It said this, here he is, he's, he's extended on the cross. Crown of thorns, pierced, punctured into his, his skull. Blood all over the place. Nails in his hands and his feet. Dying. There's a sign that says, this is the king of the Jews. And again, it's a prophetic picture that God was showing us, this is what a king looks like. This is what a leader looks like. Someone who gives up their rights, gives up their freedom, gives up what they want for the sake of other people. The one who serves leads. And so, man, Jesus is so awesome. I mean, that's, it's just amazing that that's, that's what he's done for us. We're going to, um, the rest of our time, I'm going to go through Philippians chapter 2. I encourage you, if you have a Bible, if you have it on your phone, um, to go ahead and open up. We'll, we have it on the screen here too, but there's a lot in here. We're going to read the first uh, 21 verses and just kind of unpack this here. Because and, and, it looks about this inverted leadership of the cross. So he starts out saying, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any, comp- if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. If you're encouraged by what Jesus has done for, y- for you, and by the benefits of your relationship with him, then, hey, I, mean, I want you to take on the same mind that he had. In verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And we could just like read that verse today. And say, all right, I want you to think about that. Spend the rest of your life applying that. That would be enough right there. That would be enough to work on. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Now this is really interesting too, because when it talks about the, the idea of living, of being a servant. Jesus was a servant, and you think, okay, yeah, well, man, I don't, it, it, it kind of makes sense. Jesus gave his all for us. It kind of makes sense to go, okay, God, I want to respond back and give my life to you. But then Jesus always, the way we apply, he applies that is not the way we would like him to apply it. Because he says, okay, yeah, that's great. You're getting it. Good job. Yes, you should give your life willing to me. Lay down your life for me. But you know how you do that? By give your life for other, giving your life for other people. Like, wait, wait, wait. They're not like you, Jesus. All right? There's, this math doesn't work real well. All right? I, I, you're, you're worth doing this for. But what, those people? My roommates? My family? My coworkers? 
the people around me, like, Jesus, they're not at all like you. And Jesus goes, you know what? Neither are you. <laughs> that's, that's what this looks like. This is, this is how we live this out. It says, verse 5, in your relationships with one another. This is where it plays out. In your relationships with other people, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who was being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There it is. You know, again, this model of leadership, the inverted leadership of the cross that Jesus, Jesus models for us. And then in verse 9 it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this says that, it says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, of leaving all of his privilege, leaving all of his rights, and freely giving himself for people. There was an exaltation that came to him. There was a lifting up that came to him. His, his, there was leadership that came because he served. There is... A, and we worship Jesus not only because of his power and his rank, but because of his, his mind-bogging, I don't know how to say this, mind-boggling, mind-boggling, there it is, his mind-boggling humility and his, his character and his, his love and his, his actions towards us. We see, man, yes, you're worthy to be worshipped because you're, you're God, you're powerful, but man, this character of one who gives himself fully for us. You are Lord. And, you know, obviously this is, this applies ultimately to Jesus, but it applies to us too. Not that our goal is to have every knee bow before us and say, yeah, you're Lord. No, you know, don't take that away. But there is an influence that comes from sacrificial leadership. That people that genuinely care for others and lay down their life for other people who make decisions to their own hurt for other people, those are the people you trust, right? Those are the people you follow. Those are the, those are the, the people who have respect and real influence because influence comes from this kind of inverted leadership. Um, and that's, that's what God's called us to. You know, all the, I just had a, a friend whose, whose mom passed away and I just read, you know, what he wrote on Facebook uh, yesterday about his mom. And it's, it's always this sort of stuff that people talk about. It's always, man, you're the one who, who's, who gave up these things that you would like for the sake of, of us and for the sake of other people. You're the one who quietly served and worked behind the scenes and was willing to live humbly for the good of others. Those are the kind of things that people always remember and respect and trust because that's what real leadership is right there. And I'm going to keep reading here because the, 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 the next section kind of plays this out a little bit more as to how we, how we live this kind of inverted leadership. And, and really, I was thinking about this, the whole New Testament, the whole Bible, but 
a lot of the New Testament, the letters in the New Testament, it's giving us practical instructions for how to live. And you can really look at it all as, as inverted leadership. It's saying, hey, wherever you are in life, how do you play this out to walk out the cross the way God's called us to live? So I want to pick this up in, in verse 12. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Um, two things I want to say real quick. That a growing servant leader understands two things. In order to live this out, you've got to understand two things. The first is that this is a lifelong process. It says, work out your salvation. It's not just a one-time thing. But it's the salvation, it's talking about the transformation of our life, of becoming the people God's called us to be. That's a lifelong process. And so that's kind of encouraging. When, you know, when I have another one of my selfish episodes, followed by another one, and another one, and another one, it's like, oh my goodness, like I thought God was changing me. Man, how come I'm still like so stinking selfish? It's okay. It's a process. It's one decision at a time, bit by bit, day by day. Work this process out with fear and trembling. So it's a process. And the second thing is that God is the one who changes us. And that's, that's what it says. It says, for God, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we would be totally missing it if we think that, hey, the cross is like, okay, we need to try really hard to be like Jesus and just, just make good choices and follow the cross. Like, yes, there are choices involved, but it's all about the grace of God. But when we come to him by faith and receive his salvation and his forgiveness, he comes in us. And as we surrender our life to him, he is the one who works in us and leads us in this, this, this process of transformation. So um, it's a lifelong process, but God's the one who does it. All right, next verse, verse, four, verse 14. This is where it gets real practical. And this is where, this is, I just want to leave you with a few, five things here. That if you want to grow as a servant leader, these are five things you can practice. All right, getting practical. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. <laughs> there it is. You want to practice growing as a servant leader? Some practical advice. There's another one-liner you could take home, and that's all you really need. That's enough. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Man, how radical is that? How inverted leadership is that? How different? Is that? Oh, actually, that's number two. I skipped number one. Um, let's just backtrack real quick. Uh, back in what I already read, it says, therefore, in verse 12, as my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. The first thing I want to talk about growing as a servant leader is practice obedience. Wow, that's not a bad word. Obedience, but it kind of feels like it. I was actually, one of the things I remember from, I, I, I got a master's degree from a Fuller Seminary, and there are just a few, from, from those classes I took, years of study, there are just a few tidbits that really stick, stick with me. And one of them is one that I think was, was wrong. I remember one professor telling our class, she said, you know, I think obedience is overrated in the Christian walk. She said there's an overemphasis on obedience. And she was making a point, you know, that it, sometimes in some circles it's just like, mindless, you know, don't really think. 
but just like, just go through the motions sort of thing. And I, I get her point, but I was like, I don't think this is overrated. I think it's really underrated. You know, so much of my life, so many of the, the problems I come to in, in following Christ, the breakthrough is when I come to this, like, God, I don't know what's going on. This is a really difficult person. This is a really difficult situation. I, this seems unjust, what I'm going through. I don't know why it's like this. But when I come to the place of, wait a minute, you're Lord, and I'm not. You're my Lord, and you're worthy of trusting and following no matter what it looks like. And God, I, I'm willing to obey you. I'm willing to follow you in this situation, no matter what it looks like. That's the breakthrough. That, then everything else, okay, your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay. And that just, that's the, the foundation that we need to walk this out, is that, hey, it's, it's a place of obedience to him. So obedience. And then number two, no complaining or arguing. That word arguing is, is sometimes translated disputing. How many of you know we're really good at disputing things? That's a calcu- this is, I looked this up, it's a calculation, a plotting, a movement of thought, back and forth reasoning. I mean, when I don't want to do something or I'm crosshairs with somebody, man, my mind kicks into overdrive really fast. Yeah, you don't have to talk so freely about that. It's like, okay, what's, like, all these thoughts start coming to me about why I'm right and the other person is wrong. Why, what I want to do is the right thing, or the way I think about it is right, and what they want to do or what they're thinking is wrong. And it's just like, boom! There's just like this reasoning that just starts going. And this is what it's saying, hey, turn that off. Just shut up. Tell your mind to shut up. It's, uh, one of the theologians says that this is reasoning that is self-based and therefore confused. How, you can see it in other people, right? Like, man, well, you're, no, it's wrong because you're just selfish. It's like self-based. But for us, it just seems objective. You know, this is just good common sense facts, you know? I mean, maybe it helps me, but it's, that's not why I'm arguing for it. It's, you know, it's just is what works. But it's self-based and therefore confused. It's the intellectual rebellion against God. That's what it is. Our, that's so much of our, our reasoning, our arguing, our complaining, that's what it is. And I got kids. It's obvious with them, too. It's just like so human nature to whine, to complain, to grumble. You know what though, that, that tone of voice brings every time? Living death. I just, like, there's no way to complain or argue and bring life to people around you. It just, it just doesn't work. Now, I'm not, there are times, you know, you need friends that you can be open with and talk about what's going on in your life and process through stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's a, there's a line. This says, hey, do everything without grumbling or complaining. And it goes on and says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You want to have influence in your leadership? Don't complain. Don't grumble. Don't reason. You will shine like stars. It is such a breath of fresh air. It is so different. And there's a price. It's like, okay, well, is it worth it? Because, man, complaining kind of feels good. Do I want that? Or do I want to really make a difference in people's life? 
goes on. Verse, verse 15, um, verse 16. As you hold firmly to the word of life. The third thing we got to do, if, if you want to grow as a servant leader, you got to practice holding on to Jesus and his words. Now, this way of life, of inverted leadership, is not something we can do in our own strength. I cannot do this myself. When I'm in a situation of, man, I need to, and I, I mean, don't take this personally. You know, I know I'm the pastor here. Like, man, people are so difficult, and I always got to work with them. I'm not, I'm not talking about any of you, all right? It's, it's other people. It's, you know, but we, it's like, man, this is tough to love people right now. This is hard. Nothing, it, it, that will drive you to God like nothing else. You're like, God, you want me to love these people? I need you, Jesus. I need you. You've got to give me something here. Because I can't do that myself. It says, hold on to Christ. Hold on to, um, hold on to Christ and his words. Hold on to the word of life. Jesus is the word. And his words, it's like, okay, I mean, I've got, got to get in the Bible. I need your hope. I need your promises. I need you to give me something. Because this isn't my power. This is your power. So it's holding on to him. And the verse, verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. The fourth thing, if you want to grow as a servant leader, practice willing, joyful self-sacrifice. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. That was like a, a cup of wine that would be poured out over the altar. This is what it's saying. That's what it's like to, to live this way. You're pouring your life out. And he says, but I rejoice. I'm glad and rejoice with all of you as I do that. I mean, it's not when someone's like, hey, I'm going to do this for you. I'll do dishes this time, you know, because I'm just a good person and you're, you're scum. But, so I'm going to do the dishes because I'm, I'm sacrificing my life for you. You know, that's not the sort of, that doesn't quite get it done. That's not the inverted leadership of the cross we're talking about. It's willing, joyful, not complaining. It's like, hey God, you did this for me. This is, if this was good enough for, G, for God, this is good enough for me. And actually, there is an incredible joy that comes when we live this way. There's when we're free of like fighting and clawing for what we want. And go, man, I want to pour myself out for other people. There is such a freedom and a joy that comes from that, like nothing else. All right. Choosing to lay down our lives for the good of others. That's four. And then the fifth thing, and it's, it's not in this passage, but it's just all throughout the whole rest of the New Testament. This is my last piece of advice for you. If you want to grow as a servant leader, practice learning how the Bible says to live your life. And what I mean by that is, in whatever position of life you are in, if it's as a student, as an employee, as an employer, the Bible has stuff to say in those situations. And as you look there, you're going to realize, oh, this is all about this inverted leadership of the cross. If that, that servant back in Proverbs had applied what the Bible says for how servants are to go about their place in life, they would have, their character would have been changed to where when they became king, they would have been a good king. Now, you look at if you're a husband. Oh, man, that's scary. Look, what does the Bible have to say about 
what you're to do in your place in life. It's all about laying down your life for your wife as Christ loved the church. And all the wives are like, yeah, that's right. That's what it says for you. But ultimately, that's every single place of it. Wives, children, parents, employers, landowners, farmers, government officials. You study like whatever place in life you're in, you you go, what does the Bible have to say to people like me? It's this inverted leadership. It's practical ways for me to to walk this out in a way that is serving others the way way Jesus laid down his life for us. This, uh, just wrapping it up here, in, in verse 19, Paul writes this, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So he's writing to the church in the city of Philippi, says, hey, I'm hoping that soon I'm going to send this dude, Timothy, to come visit you. Um, and he'll, he'll bring some news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, hey, it's, this is interesting, because Paul, he started churches all over the, the world, he had friends all over, disciples that he had raised up. He had you know, other books of the Bible or a list of people he's giving greetings to and advice to. But he said, hey, I'm sending you Timothy, and there's something about him that I've got nobody else like him. He's a caliber of leader that is very rare and very valuable. And what is it about him? He's not looking out for his own interest, but he's looking out for the interest of others. That's what his, his mission is. And, man, I just read that. I was like, wow, this, this inverted leadership, it's really rare. For the Apostle Paul to say, I don't have anybody else with this heart, but Timothy has it more than anybody else. Man, that just shows that it is, it is rare and it is valuable when we can have that sort of heart, that sort of lifestyle in us. And... That's, man, that's the high calling of God that, you know, I know most days I'm looking at myself in the mirror going, oh, shoot, I'm, I'm so selfish. I'm doing this so poorly. And I'm, I'm thinking about myself. I'm, I've got complaints and grumbling. But, man, that God is, as we come to him, he can transform us and bring this process about in our life to make us this kind of leader. And so I just want to pray for us and ask that God would help us to to walk this out in our lives wherever we are. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning we thank you for the cross. Thank Thank you for being that kind of God. Thank you for being the character of one who willingly gave your all for the world. Thank you that you willingly gave your all for us. God, thank you for the the benefits of that that we receive and that we can receive. And Jesus, I I pray that, oh, this morning, that you would would help us to, to be transformed in our lifestyle, in our interaction with other people, in in becoming leaders, in becoming the kind of leaders that the world needs. Becoming like you. 
Lord, I, I ask you, just whatever specifically it is for us where you're wanting us to grow, that, Holy Spirit, you would make that clear, that you would you'd put your finger on that in our hearts. You'd help us to grow. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you this isn't according to our own ability, but it's according to your grace working within us. But Lord, I, I pray that uh, you would help us. Lord, we want to offer our lives as living sacrifices to you. Lord, I pray even this morning for, for those that have been doing that, but feeling like, man, this doesn't matter. It's, where's, the, where's the payoff? I, I pray for a joy. God, a joy of just, just joining you in the way you live and loving people the way you live. I pray for a, a rejoicing and a joy in that to say, man, this, this, is, this is how I want to live. This isn't how I have to live. This is how I want to live. Lord, and Lord, help us to become those kind of people more and more. I thank you for the way you're doing that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.